Hello, uh, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger 2 podcast. I'm actually going to be uh, by myself today. We had some slight miscommunication with Jakub. Uh, maybe he'll join uh, during the recording, but I'm not I'm not sure yet. So um, anyhow, for now, uh, you have to just listen to me for the next 70 minutes or something. Uh, I have no idea how long this will take because we have four, um, four challengers to recap and five to preview. So probably quite a lot. And yeah, let's just let's just get down to business. I think um, there's not nothing else really that I wanted to talk about before we start. So let's just get to the biggest challenger that there was. Uh, so Sarasora, the only 125 that we had this week. Um, this was uh, also a week where plenty of deciding champion, uh, sorry, the, the defending champions went deep, but neither of them won the title, and one of them was Daniel Lahigalan, who reached the final, of course, uh, lost to Daniel Altmaier. And maybe let's start talking about Altmaier, who with this run, uh, like the 125 points is just so important for him because he, because he gets himself back into the top 100 and secures Ram Garros Mangro. Um, now he's also going to travel to Munich. So, uh, you know, perhaps this clay season where he only really defends that um, Heilbronn title that he had in May, perhaps this time he's actually going to be able to play more main tour events and uh, get some results in them because last year he wasn't really able to do that. Of course, in the past, he was even around Garros uh, fourth rounder, right, in 2020. Uh, but any, anyhow, when it comes to Sarasota, he was very close to losing in the opening round to Martin Dam, the uh, lefty son of, of course, of, of the former, the former ex- excellent tennis player, both in singles and doubles, Martin Dam Sr. Martin Dam Jr. was, um, Super close to beating Altmaier here, but after that happened, uh, no one actually got that close. Zizou Berks was decently um, competitive with him. Quaco wasn't. Diallo retired, and Daniel Ahigalan in the final was. I think even if it was seven six six one, you could kind of say he was outplayed pretty comfortably. Um, frankly, the the main thing in the final for me was just how much of a difference there is between the offense they can create of the backhand. Altmaier, of course, a one-hander, Galan two-hander, but as, whereas Galan just uh, used his pretty de- defensively, you know, there wasn't really much he could do in terms of either angles or power. Altmaier's one-hander was setting him up for the forehand beautifully, and I think that was the most important thing. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, when it comes to Daniela Lahigalan, so the runner-up this week, uh, he uh, also did extremely well. He needed this run for sure because, well, since the beginning of the year, he has been struggling. Uh, he was actually just, let me count it, 3 and 10 before before Sarasota uh, this year. And uh, even in some events where you would think maybe he's going to do better, he didn't. Although he won around in Houston, but he never... Like he only got one match win during the Golden Swing, which was supposed to be huge for him. So there were definitely some tough times for Daniel Lachigalan as well. He was also a bit in danger of maybe missing Ron Garros if he didn't get this, these runner-up points. Uh, but he did. Of course, he was defending the title, so he will drop in the rankings a little bit, but not that, uh, you know, not that much because he was still a finalist. And he beat a very solid field, frankly. I mean, Shang, Vukic, Mahac. Uh, some very strong names in this draw, the, the best green clay event that we have, just wasn't able to deliver as much in the final, which, uh, yeah, I think it both really boiled down to how uh, his backhand wasn't really a force, wasn't really a weapon at all. And uh, that's not the case for Altmaier. At least it wasn't the case in the Sarasota final, because sometimes maybe it can be weaker. But if, if we're just uh, putting these guys, you know, in front of each other, of course, Galan has like the slightly maybe... Um, easier power on ser- on the servant forehand, but they, they really play somewhat similar and the ability to just uh, find a better angle and set him up for the forehand did everything well at Meyer in the final. And uh, yeah, let's get to the semi-finalists, which as I mentioned already were Thomas Mahac. Um, also a very decent run for him, as we said uh, with Jakub a few times, uh, this is the par- part of the season where he's just gaining points. He was injured last year since, um, I think, the middle of April until the beginning of August. So um, even if he's 114th presently on Monday uh, when I'm recording this, so uh, you're probably going to also hear it on Monday or on Tuesday. And... Um, now he's 114th, but that's really far off his actual level right now, it seems. And, uh, yeah, it, it should, it should get like, um, very, uh, like his ranking should be very factual when it, when we're gonna arrive in the beginning of August, because that's when he'll actually have 12 months on his ranking, not nine. 
as it stands at the moment. Uh, so definitely a, a nice run for him as well. He beat Brauer in that first round. That was sort of stopping us from going for him as our, uh, for him as uh, as the P- tournament winner, and also beat Kubler in a very high profile quarterfinal, and then just lost to Daniel Lachigalan in the semis. Frankly, a little underwhelming how simple that match was for the Colombian, but uh, well, it happens. Uh, when it comes to the fourth quarterfinalist, it was Enzo Cuaco, who. Um, reached I think his yeah his first semi of the year uh he had some nice runs in Australia with of course also the Djokovic match at the Australian Open where he was the only one to take a set of Novak in Melbourne but since it was uh yeah he was he was never really picking up any wins especially um on, only really got to a quarter, the quarterfinals in Mexico City but otherwise he lost five uh, tournaments in their opening rounds and also took just three games of Hanfman in Houston Qualies so quite huge for him as well. He got um, maybe a bit lucky that Kudla was uh, injured in the opening round, but then he beat Zhen Zhang, who was my uh, pick for the tournament cham- for the champion in Sarasota. And then he also took out uh, Genaro Alberto Olivieri in a crazy match in the quarters. One of the best ones this week, I think. Um, frankly, it was actually Olivieri who impressed me more with just how he was able to adapt to the green clay because some grinders... Uh, some clay grinders like for example Juan Manuel Serundolo who was uh, Jakub's pick for the title uh, some uh, you know Serundolo just didn't really manage to um, make the necessary changes in his game to adapt to the green clay which of course is faster has like the true bounce is just a surface made out of different material than the European red clay or the South American red clay uh, so um I mean, Serundolo didn't do that. Olivieri did and was just blasting his forehand. He also won in 2019. He won a 25K in Naples on green clay. So, you know, it's not the first time he was able to do that, but still quite impressive because I never really pictured him as a guy who was going to go deep here. Quaco beat him, though, uh, with a couple of great shots, but was very easily uh, overrun by Altmaier in the semis. So that that's why I said that, in a way, Olivieri actually impressed me more than Quaco, even though it was Quaco who won their match and uh, went... Well, and he went to the semis, but uh, yeah, got got very, very comfortably outplayed in there. And um, when it comes to the, 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 sorry, when it comes to the doubles title, it was uh, the, the legendary Julian Cash and Henry Patton uh, taking the title in a very, very high profile final as well against Guido Andreotti, Guillermo Duran. Probably the best two pairings of 2022, right? In Maya last year, at the end of the year, we had that um, doubles final between the best pair of 2022, so Cash Patton and best pair of 2021, uh, Borges Cabral, at least in terms of challenger direction, of course. And here we had Cash Patton and Rotti Duran, so probably the best two pairings of 2022, I would say. And Cash Patton won that, won that 7-6-6-4. Of course, they were also coming off a title, uh, sorry, a final in Houston where they lost to Max Purcell and Jordan Thompson. So their first ATP Tour final uh, at the beginning of the year or in our season season review, we said with Jakub that uh, probably we would be very disappointed if um, Cash Patton never made an ATP Tour final this year. They've done it in Houston and they've also returned to the Challenger Tour for the second time this year. Uh, after Phoenix, where of course Phoenix was very stacked and they lost to Lamos Withrow, but uh, they returned for the second time and didn't drop a set on the way to the title and also beat some excellent pairings. I mean, even King, uh, Stalder, uh, Eiseric Pell, Brown, Sandkowlen and um, Andreozzi Duran, the aforementioned, um, one of the strongest pairings of uh, of the Challenger Tour as well, 100%. Um, let's go maybe to one of the 75s that we had. Um, we were in the Americas, so maybe let's stay for now in the Americas. And in Lyon, uh, very exciting prospect, Giovanni Pecci Pericard clinched his first uh, challenger title at 19 years, 19 years of age. Uh, we said a few times that, uh, you know, these altitude events are going to really help him. Uh, like, this is this is the sort of schedule that he should be taking, right? But frankly, I thought that if he was going to have a huge run, it was probably going to be on clay altitude, not hard. I think maybe he thought so too, because he's not even staying in Mexico to play Morelos. He's, uh, he's just going to leave after Leon. 
So um, maybe he also thought that clay, because he's going to Florianopolis to play on clay. So I think he also thought that clay is going to be better. Uh, but well, he, he was sick, I think, in the qualifying against uh, Gallo in Mexico City, then played San Luis Potosi, of course, made the quarters, lost to Barrios Vera, nothing to be ashamed of. And here, despite a number of deciding sets, five in seven matches, he was able to, I think, get broken only three times in all of these, in, in all of these matches. He lost three sets, actually neither of them. I mean, he lost, he lost a tiebreak set to Sinclair and Fikovic, and otherwise he lost three sets all of them with a break. And these were the only three breaks uh, he that people managed against him this week. Of course, his serve is just absurd. Uh, was the backhand always holding up well? Not necessarily. Uh, there were definitely better moments. Uh, though, in the final, the third set was very, very high quality from both, I would say. And um, is that does that run mean that um, Petri Pericard is now going to be, I don't know, challenging for a top 100 breakthrough this year? Probably not. It's still very doubtful that he can achieve this sort of a run, not in altitude conditions. But of course, the guy has like insane weapons and uh, potentially maybe in a couple of seasons, we are looking at him as a, you know, as, as a maybe a top 100 player. Is he there yet? We'll see. In in these very unique conditions, he definitely was able to excel, get a few fantastic uh, victories because Tirante, Bellier, Neukrist, these are all great altitude players. And another uh, fantastic... Oh, and by the way, also Pechi Pericard uh, is now at a ranking where he probably will be able to get into Rangaros qualifying on his own and, of course, going further as well. Um, into Wimbledon or, or US Open if he can just keep posting some results at least. Um, because he's to the 229 now. So, you know, Wimbledon and US Open are definitely not secured, but I think he should be in the French Open, it seems. And this time they're definitely not going to skip him, right? Because even if he needed a wild card to get to the qualifying, uh, last year he didn't get it, but he was coming back after an injury and etc. But I think after a challenger title, the FFT would this time like have no choice but to include him anyway. So I think he'll be in the round Garros qualifying regardless of what happens, but uh, he should probably get there on his own ranking, it seems as well. And uh, I was talking about players who are good on altitude. Juan Pablo Fikovic in the final. Uh, crazy, because he was just 1-8 and eight for the year uh, coming into this event. And even in altitude events, he was not doing that hot, frankly. He lost to Melgeni Alves, though, and Pechi Pericard in San Luis Potosi and Mexico City. So definitely had a couple tough draws, too. But uh, still, 1-8 for the year, and suddenly you're in the final. Uh, this is actually a sixth challenger final for Fikovic. Uh, his previous ones have been uh, Cuernavaca, uh, 15,000 meters altitude. Uh, Campinas, which is like 600-something. San Paulo, also 700-something. And of course, uh, he was also last year in Aguas Calientes, which is like over 2K. And I'm now forgetting something. Uh, oh yeah, Bogota last year as well, which was also 2K altitude. So uh, here, Leon, uh, 1,800, I think. So he has never reached a challenger final uh, below uh, 650 meters above sea level. Crazy stuff, right? Uh, but you, you can, it, it's similar sort of to Facundo Mena to me. Uh, his serve suddenly looks amazing on these uh, on these courts. Maybe his baseline game usually uh, doesn't strike you as something that would be very threatening to his opponents, but it is at the it is in these conditions. He takes the ball very early in them. He is able to control it much better than most of the opposition. He had to save two match points against Terence Atmane in the second round. Uh, but then had that, scored a beautiful win over James Duckworth, who was for both me and Jakub, it was our pick uh, for the title. And uh, then also beat Aziz Dugas and lost to Petri Pericard in the deciding tiebreak. But frankly, not much that really he could have done there. Like um, that, there weren't any big moments, big opportunities for uh, for Fikovic where he where he could be taking that. There was just one uh, moment in the second set tiebreak where he was four to up. And Petri Pericard found like found the line with uh, one defensive backhand. Um, it was just deep enough that it caused trouble to to Fikovic. But I I wouldn't really call it a choke. There there was definitely uh, like just not enough um, advantage for him in that match. Uh, not enough moments where he like really got tense or something. So um, still a fantastic round for him. And yeah, it's gonna be nice just uh, following that um, his career uh, path sort of. 
in that uh, whether he's going to be able to get some runs also not not at altitude. Uh, Facundo Mena hasn't really, right? I, I think he I think he also made it deep at a green clay event once, but um, that's also um, well, it's not similar, but you can kind of get why. And uh, Fikovic was actually, as I said, the finalist in Cuernavaca or Morelos. I think that's the same. These are the same things. So uh, he was the finalist there in 2020. So maybe next week he's also going to do well. We'll see. Uh, that that we're going to cover that, of course, in the in the preview section, so so to speak. Uh, Maximilian Neuquist as well. Uh, what a fantastic altitude swing for the guy. We all remember his Maya run from November, which uh, came as a huge shock, and now he breaks the top 200. Uh, at the age of 31, which, uh, yeah, is, is just absolutely absurd. And um, still, it, it makes sense, you know, the guy uh, just had a huge run, made it to, a cha- to the challenger level, and now is scheduling himself very well, just, uh, yeah, played these, played all these altitude events, including Morelos, which he's also, also going to play, and is just picking up big points. Semi-final in Mexico City, quarter-final in San Luis Potosi, semi-final in Leon. Uh, what else is there to say? Uh, he, he clearly loves these uh, conditions. And I think the, the sort of improvement that he's made is the better grinding. Like he's not just a servant volleyer as he was in the past, maybe for uh, for most of his career. At least that's what he was mostly associated with. Now he also grinds pretty well. And uh, yeah, I think he just his control over the ball is a bit better than most of the opponents that he's been facing in these altitude events. And that's why he keeps going deep. Um, he lost to Kepfer twice in San Luis Potosi in Mexico City and now to Mpechi Pericard in two tiebreaks. And the last, the fourth uh, semi-finalist was Aziz Dugas. Uh, other, like last year they had this uh, very nice rivalry with Skander Mansuri, right? When they played constantly in, Anta- no, it was Monastir, sorry, uh, ITF finals. And Mansuri had a couple of big challenger runs, Dugas not so much. But here he also found it. Uh, he has a very good lefty serve, which I think was the like the basis for this run, uh, and a couple of very good wins from him as well. Mejia, Olivo, these are guys who in the past have excelled on altitude as well. Uh, he was close to beating Fikovic. He was the one generating breakpoints in the deciding set, uh, but didn't end up doing it. Uh, do I think it's going to be very translatable to some other uh, challenger events? Not necessarily, but he's also close to Ron Garros qualifying. If he can only get, uh, you know, one more result like that in the next two weeks, because that's when the cutoff is, he could theoretically play Ron Garros qualifying, which of course would be a fantastic achievement for the Tunisian who's never done that and is currently at his career high. I, at least I presume he's never done that, but no way he, he managed to snatch a place in Grand Slam qualifying last year, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 yeah, it's, it definitely hasn't happened. Um, so it would be, it would be absolutely amazing for him. And when it comes to the doubles, uh, the Dugas, whom I just mentioned, played with Antoine Escoffier and beat the other semi-finalist of the singles event, so Maximilian Neukrist. And Neukrist was uh, partnering uh, Mikhail Pervolarakis. Um, going forward to Europe, because we have two challengers in Europe. Maybe let's start with Madrid, where I got my point. So currently I am even with Jakub in terms of the, the tournament winner pr- predictions. And uh, yeah, when it comes to uh, what happened in this event uh, for Shevchenko, he um, and he had a couple of poorer weeks beforehand and um, lost to Torres in Barletta. But I think this match was very random due to the wind that was there. And also a loss to Miller in Sanremo. But, you know, losing to Alexander Miller... Right, he broke he broke the top 100. He was an ATP Tour finalist right after that. I mean, it's it's nothing really to be ashamed of at this point in time, at least, uh, for Shevchenko. And uh, even here, he kind of struggled with Billy Harris in the opening round, but got himself going. Was zero six down to Passaro in the in the semifinal, where this got kind of scary for him because that was the match that could could have secured him the top 100 debut. Actually, it didn't like automatically winning that as he got very comfortable attacking in the second and third set. Winning that didn't really give him that yet. Uh, he still needed to avoid Albot winning split uh, and Mahaj beating Galan in the Sarasota final. Like he needed two of these three not to happen. And then Albot lost and also Mahaj lost. So that's when even before the final, he already knew that he had broken the top 100. Uh, frankly, I have to say that on like a personal level, I am extremely happy for him. 
have very vivid mem- uh, I had I have very vivid memories from seeing him play for the first time. You know, usually when we see players um, for the first time, it's on stream, right? Uh, I actually saw him in uh, his challenger challenger debut match in Poznan. He beat Blancano and Fairness in qualifying and made the semis. Amazing run, and frankly, ever since I saw him play, I was just so um, I had so much belief in in the the talent of the guy, and also, uh, yeah, just how well he is led. I didn't know at the time, just watching him, that he is a Ginter Bresnik protege, the legendary Austrian coach who uh, also worked with Dominic Team for so many years. Uh, but when I found that out, it was actually uh, made a lot of sense, right? The guy knows how to. Um, just produce successful tennis players. He also pra- played with this crazy intensity of the ground uh, that uh, sort of uh, reminded of team in a way, at least team of old, of course, uh, because right now he has kind of lost it. Shevchenko hasn't yet. And uh, yeah, I think he should be an ATP tour player for four years. I, I I think he totally has the game. I don't think he's going to do a team, but um but but i'm very happy to see that he's also a legend of this show right because along with zdenek kolash he's the only player who has appeared on it three times and in fact he's even more of a legend of this show than zdenek kolash in that way because one of the um one of the instances when we had zdenek kolash on was a press conference and two of them were interviews and with alexander shevchenko i actually actually talked three times twice in poznan and once in uh, Szczecin, I think. So, um, yeah, legend of the show, legend of the <laughs> circuit, maybe we're gonna see, but, um, certainly a, an uber talented player who, um, I'm glad is joining the top 100 ranks. And yeah, we're just gonna see how much uh, he's going to be able to do on the main tour. So far, you know, it, it's been up and down, I would say. He lost that tight match to Hurkacz in Dubai, uh, but otherwise didn't really do that, that, um, that well. Uh, but frankly, you know, if he gets like a full European clay schedule, he plays uh, Justino in the opening ground in Barcelona, which is a fantastic opportunity for him if he's just not tired after after winning in Madrid. Um, and definitely the reason why he's so early in the top 100 this year, so in April, is the fact that he did um, surprisingly well on hard courts, right? Uh, won Tenerife and made the final in Phoenix, especially that run was insane. So, um, yeah, if he can continue that sort of progress where he is also a threat on hard courts, uh, that should allow him to really, uh, you know, be able to stay on the ATP tour and not just, uh, bounce be back and forth between that and challengers, uh, which for now is still definitely, a, uh, like he's, a, he's in danger of that. Uh, but, um, yeah, he's already made three challenger finals this year, won two of them. So only that Bratislava final is, I think, really that massive point gain in the second half of the year for him or like in the middle of the year because it's in June. So, um, a lot of chances to gain a uh, points and just keep himself on the ATP tour. We'll see if he can do it. Another player who is kind of struggling right now to keep himself on the ATP tour, although you know, it's not time to ring the alarm bells for him yet. Although I actually think it is, but he's not dropping that many points just yet, but he is going to start soon. Uh, Pedro Kacin, though, was the defending champion in Madrid. I was talking about these defending champions coming close, but not winning this, um, this, this week. And, uh, was also doing terribly for the, uh, this year. Only played one challenger though. So that's also why, I mean, at the ATP tour level, his game just doesn't really cut it. Uh, but he played one challenger and also wasn't looking that bright. Uh, you know, lost a set to Bali and uh, then lost to Jesper de Jong in the quarters in Girona. Uh, and here, you know, th- there were also some signs of weaknesses, uh, of weakness, uh, losing a set to Santian, uh, almost losing to Morocanias. He was 2 6 1 3 down in that second round. But then he actually played a couple of very good matches against Ofner and Koyarini. Uh, for a while, he was even uh, troubling Shevchenko. Just when Shevchenko sort of just tuned in, started crushing his ground strokes more, Kachin's game fell apart very, very quickly. So, um, yeah, that it was a good it was a good showing from Kachin. Taking all things into consideration, he defends plenty of the points that he uh, earned in Madrid last year, beating Trujillo in the final. But it's also not uh, exactly something that is going to keep him in the top 100. But for now, he still has a, a couple of more months at least, right? 
And uh, he actually has a very winnable match in Barcelona as well, playing Hes Brauer. So maybe he can uh, also get some wins on the ATP Tour, which so far this year he's been able to do that just twice, uh, once in Buenos Aires and uh, once in Indian Wells. Um, yeah, and uh, going further, oh, and I also have to mention that when it comes to that winner pick that I mentioned of Shevchenko, um, that was the instance where for the first time in the history of the show, I actually flipped a coin because I wasn't able to decide between Shevchenko and Passaro. And thank you, coin, because the coin gave me the Russian, which I think was heads back then. Jakub was laughing at me and saying that, um, how can you keep, uh, you know, keep putting yourself in that position where you basically start, um, where you basically pick players who are out of form. But I told him that I don't think Shevchenko is out of form despite the losses to Torres and Miller. And this is me celebrating. If if this podcast had a video recording, you would see me very happy right now. Um, you know, twice as happy because as, as I said, I am a bit of a, at least an enjoyer of Shevchenko's game and uh, also a great guy. Uh, but um, I'm also very happy because I'm, I finally managed to tie Jakub in the in the winners' predictions. I'm actually not sure if it's like 11-11 or something like that, but um, he's probably gonna tell us next week. And um, yeah, let's uh, also get to the semi-finalists. I mentioned Passaro; he was re- injured recently, so a big run for him as well. Um, did very well, I thought, against Nava Durasovic, Moreno Dalboran, all pretty dangerous players on their day, at least. And then just didn't capitalize on that opening set against Shevchenko, but um, there was also never really that much of a chance. If he can keep, if he can just stay healthy, you know, maybe he can um, keep break that top 100 this year. Because soon enough, there's gonna be the summer when he just made challenger final after challenger final, right? So it doesn't have to be easy for him. But uh, we'll see. He also, uh, this is also a theme, I guess, for the semi-finalists of Madrid. He also has a very easy matchup with, uh, well, in in the opening round in Barcelona, playing Fernando Verdasco. So such a great chance that all of Shevchenko, Passaro and Kachin can actually win their first round matches. But uh, it still needs to be done. Even though they, they have favorable draws, it needs to be done. Andrea Coyarini is not in the Barcelona draw. He's actually going to be in Florianopolis. And, um, well, he, he doesn't fit into that trend, but he was a semi-finalist. I thought uh, Madrid, you know, slight altitude wasn't really going to be, be his conditions. So um, I believe that beating Goyo, Zekic, guys like that, um, that that's pretty huge for him here. So um, so a very good run too. Uh, he's had this weird year where in January he was, uh, yeah, he got to his career high. Of course, right now he's also at it and uh, 181, uh, but then didn't win a match uh, between January and April. So um, yeah, it's been like uh, in two minds, let's say for Coyarini so far, uh, maybe he can start putting in some more consistent results because uh, generally in his career, I would say he has been a, a bit of an underachiever for sure. And uh, in the final, uh, Lutarevich and Manafov beat Niklas Salmin and, and Bert Stevens. Uh, Bart Stevens, sorry. Uh, I thought that um, if I remember correctly, because I didn't look at uh, Jakub's Excel, uh, you know, spreadsheet. I think that um, Niklas Salmin and uh, Stevens were the best, um, the best challenger pairing of the year so far when it comes to the points amassed. Um, again, we, we'll check that next week, but. Uh, I, I think that's what that was the case, and it probably hasn't changed this week since they made another final. Quite an excellent year so far for the Dutchman and the Finn. And uh, yeah, the last event that we've had was split, and um, coincidentally, the final was actually split into two parts. Terrible wordplay, but here we are. And in general, the rain was very impactful in this. Um, there was, um, um, well, on, on Friday, it was completely rained off. Then on Saturday, they had to play two rounds. But the semi between Pirosh and O'Connell wasn't even, they, were, they weren't even able to finish that. Then there was a huge mess on Sunday where they announced that it was going to be played indoors at 6 p.m. And then suddenly 5.15 p.m. they start um, Pirosh O'Connell again on an outside court. So, you know, from, from the perspective of someone who wants to watch these matches, it was terrible. Challenger, Challenger TV also failed to accommodate that. There was just, an, again, just unofficial streams and, and booking, booking, uh, bookie streams. And why I said uh, the final was split into parts? Because Pirosh was 
7-6-6-5 up on Gombosh when it started raining again and they moved the last two games indoors. Again, we couldn't really see them, which is a shame because Pirosh won the tiebreak 11-9. So clearly it was, uh, you know, it, it must have um, been very emotional and, and there must have been a lot of tension, but frankly, we'll never know. Um, when it comes to Jombor Pirosh, uh, many times we've spoken about them last year that uh, a healthy Jombor Pirosh probably has the game to break the top 100. I don't think there's anyone who would really um, you know, disagree with that. Just before this week in split, he made four consecutive quarterfinals on the Challenger Tour, all on clay. Uh, Sekes Fehervar, Zadar, Sanremo and Parletta. Finally broke through that um, that stage, uh, playing Radu Albot in the quarters. Again, if he can just stay healthy, I think he's very, very dangerous. Uh, doesn't defend that much, I think, until the Tampere title in uh, July. I, I, I'm pretty sure there were a few runs in the meantime, like just in Grand Slam qualities, but just, just nothing really in terms of big points. Uh, he was also, uh, in a split, uh, fine, in the split final last year, but had to retire against Christopher O'Connell. So there was a, a bit of a rematch there in the semis. Uh, but, uh, well, that was why also why Piroz didn't pick up many points until Tampere. So the next few months, if we see Jean-Paul Piroz in the top 100, wouldn't be a shock. And the same goes for Maroshan, but he has sort of dropped off after Antalya and Sekesh Fehervar. He actually lost to um, Abedala Shelbaich uh, this week in uh, Banyaluka qualifying. So um, it's a bit of a race between them. No one, no, no, Neither of them is really a guarantee, but they could make it and no one would be shocked, right? And um, Norbert Gombosch was the finalist and that was a bit of a shock, I guess. Uh, his year so far has been filled with some small health issues. There were there were a couple of quarterfinals in Canberra and BL, but generally nothing special. So we weren't expecting much from him. But he beat a very very strong field of Koboli, Juk, Valkus, Polmans. The Juk match I have to mention, uh, Kasper was six three up in the tie in the deciding tiebreak and lost it. How many times can you lose matches like this? Right, um, you kind of gotta ask yourself, but. Uh, well, Juk recently, no win is easy for Kacper Juk uh, of late. And uh, the one against Navona in the uh, first round here in split was also extremely tough. I actually think if Juk beat Gombosh, he even had a chance of yeah making the final himself. He's, of course, also a defending champion in split. Also like Christopher O'Connor, whom I haven't talked about yet. Uh, but for Gombosh, it's it's certainly an insane run. Gombosh is kind of facing some issues this year with yeah with how little he's been able to play, with uh, him not really being healthy most of the time. He's down to 131 in the ATP rankings, and yeah, he needs to keep earning points to stick around that um, sort of uh, yeah stuck being stuck between the ATP and challengers uh, as he's been most of his, if not most of his career, then at least the past few years. Uh, but this this final definitely helps him a lot. Chris O'Connell, I've mentioned him a few times. He was the defending champion. He was also, uh, for both me and Jakub, he was our pick this week. Uh, but uh, he eventually lost to Jean-Bor Pirosh in the rematch of that uh, split final from 2022. Um, this time it was, uh, well, Pirosh didn't have to retire and actually beat O'Connell fairly comfortably, which was surprising. Uh, O'Connell also scored a big win over Dino Prismic, where he came back from 0-4 in the this, in the second set. Um, but but still a very good showing from the 17-year-old 17-year-old in the second set. And uh, yeah, also when I'm when I'm recording this, Prismic has just qualified for Banyaluka as well, thrashing Mattia Bellucci and uh, also uh, beating Liam Brody pretty comfortably. So. Um, yeah, quite an exciting talent for sure, and also someone that has to be mentioned in split because he wants a, he this time beat Artur Cazo, who beat him so easily in Zadar. So um, yeah, some 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 interesting uh, some interesting ranks, runs for the 17 year old who definitely doesn't have an elite weight of shot yet, uh, but uh, has a lot of intangibles. I would say that maybe uh, yeah, just are going to be a good foundation to build upon. As for O'Connell, uh, a bit disappointing, I guess, for him because, well, if you're uh, like an almost, I mean, if you're a top 100 player, you're sort of dropping down to the challenger level because he probably could have played, you know, Monte Carlo qualifying. 
but he wanted to defend his title in split, and I think not defending uh, that will be uh, more disappointing for him than you know than having some joy from making the semis. I think he's just at that sort of stage in his career where making the semis as a challenger is probably not enough for him. And um, Mark Polmans as well. Very good run. Uh, in general, Polmans has been uh, showing this year that, well, he belongs at the challenger level again after all the injuries that he's had. Uh, he played a couple of these um, clay uh, challengers in Australia. I think they're held in Cam- Canberra, if memory serves right. And he won one of them, then lost to Dane Sweeney in the final of the second, then lost to Dutra da Silva in the second round in Murcia, and now a semi uh, I've, and honestly, a very good run as well because he beat Rodionov, Idukovic, Misoric, right? In a row. Idukovic was clowning a bit, maybe in that, in that second set tiebreak with an underarm serve at 5-3. And in general, some very weak choices. You know, Idukovic mentally isn't really strong at all, but, uh, still a good win for Polmans because he was fine. The, the crowd was finally getting some fire, like catching some fire, sorry. And yeah, Polmans making the semis uh, just further brings him back into the challenger level. He is now at 210 in the ATP rankings. So um, yeah, in, in just a few months, basically, he's shown that um, even though last year he was out until like August, I think, he clearly belongs here. And uh, yeah, until August, he's only uh, going to gain, gain points. I don't know if it's enough to get him into the top 100. Probably not. I don't think he has that sort of caliber of a game. But he should be like in the top 150 uh, in August or something like that. That 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 just looks very possible. And um, yeah, uh, the, oh the doubles as well. Uh, the doubles in split were won by Dumbia and Rebul, who beat uh, Chandrasekhar and uh, Prasenth in the final. And uh, yeah, just uh, the one of the main doubles pairings on the Challenger Tour of the last few years, uh, getting to to a Challenger as the top seeds, of course, and. Yeah, just winning it again. So far this year, they've won uh, just two of them, but also they haven't really played that many challengers. They, it's only their third challenger tour appearance. In fact, they won Quimper, they made the semis in Puerto Vallarta, and they won Split now with uh, two wins on the on the final day, I think. But the final day for them was Saturday. Yeah, yeah, they 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 played two matches on Saturday, I believe, and. Um, the, but the final, they actually managed to finish both on Saturday. They, they, it was only um, the, the six, second singles semi and the singles final that had to be played on Sunday. And eventually, well, eventually the final had to be finished indoors. But um, yeah, just just a couple of games. So that was um, so that was fair, I suppose. Uh, at least it wasn't. Uh, at least it wasn't like they didn't switch into the other conditions for like a longer period. Uh, the the most crazy thing right last year was in uh, Prague when uh, Ofner and Sina started their final on clay and then they finished it on indoor hard courts, uh, but this this did this didn't happen here. Anyway, uh, we need to get to match and upset of the week, and of course since Jakub isn't here, it's gonna be just my picks this week. I uh, did have that Twitter poll uh, yesterday. If someone's listening to this, I'm just uh, putting. Uh, I mean, while while it's still active. Um, Maybe you can still vote vote in it, but um, since like two months ago, I started putting out just a Twitter poll of four options or maybe three options if there's just three events or something like that of, um, yeah, just for people to vote on the Challenger match of the week. Uh, usually you get, it gets like 150 votes, so not that much, but uh, I still think it's it's a pretty nice thing for the, for the Challenger community. And uh, I put that for the four options there. Uh, people understandably voted for um, Giovanni Pecci Pericard against Fikovic in the Leon final. Uh, but maybe it was recency bias as well. Uh, maybe it was just that more people watched it because I'm actually going to go with Kachin Ofner. I enjoyed that one, that one a lot more. I think um, Pecci Pericard, Pericard Fikovic, even though it was kind of high quality, it suffered from you know the surface and the conditions and how much, how serve-based this was. Uh, 36 service holds, only one breakpoint each. I just don't really can't really rate that sort of. Sometimes that 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 sort of a match can be entertaining, but in this one, I just felt like I was waiting for the tie breaks, and that's not really great. Perhaps my enjoyment was also hampered by the fact that it started at 2 a.m. for me, <laughs> so maybe that was maybe that was a reason also. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, that, that's where I'm going to stop, I suppose, uh, in terms of um, Peci Perikard Fikovic. 
I, I picked Kachin Ofner, but the popular vote went with the final in, of Lyon. Uh, and when it comes to upset of the week, as usual, I have not chosen it yet. And this is where Jakub is very helpful because he talks about something. I mean, he's always very helpful, but, uh, when, um, when, when he, uh, when I can't, uh, you know, when I'm still looking for that upset, uh, he is there to just talk about his and then I finally pick it up. Uh, and I don't know what I'm gonna go for. I see that uh, Perez Country over Trongeliti in Madrid got a very high score from the bookies. Fikovic over Dakor, but in these indoor, uh, I mean, in these altitude conditions, I just don't really view that. Like it has to be a real, real big upset for me to to, per, to just perceive it as such. I'm gonna go maybe with this is wild because I still have had so much belief in Jack Sock. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't, but him losing to Tristan Boyer, uh, just, yeah, I think it's just sort of put um, his season and like his chances of actually doing something on the green clay and on the, um, yeah, yeah, just in, in the warm up, in the lead up to Ron Garros. Um, it just puts him, puts this in a very bad light. I've heard he also said that he hates tennis at, at one, on one, during one of his matches recently. So he's clearly not in the right headspace and, in that sense, I was surprised because I thought he was actually going to like try extra, extra, extra hard in these American uh, clay warm-ups in order to get Erwan Garros wildcard. But it looks like maybe he's actually not going to do that. And I just got message from uh, just got a message from Jakob who sent me over his tournament winner picks, so we can keep that going. Uh, and uh, yeah, he he just says he's not feeling that well and will will join us uh, next week. Uh, and so we will start previewing these events. Uh, I will, in the meantime, I will be mentioning Jakub Speaks and yeah, we'll just uh, focus on on the draws. So uh, we will start with the only Challenger 125, which is the Open the Oeiras. We come back to Oeiras, uh, one of the most famous Challenger venues in the past few years, especially as after the pandemic, they were hosting a lot of events where maybe some... Um, yeah, some venues weren't uh, able to do that. And uh, the top seed is actually Adrian Manarino, which is quite wild because we have three ATP Tour events, right? We've got Banja Luka, uh, Barcelona and Munich. I think in every single one, yeah, in every single one of them, he would have had a main draw spot, but he chose to decide, uh, he chose to decide, he chose to come to Oeiras. I guess he thinks that he's going to get more playtime here. On clay, we'll see. I mean, he's playing Alex Lazarov in the opening round, which seems very doable. Uh, then he can face Kimer Kopejans or a qualifier lucky loser. And in that section is also Jean Borpiroz with uh, a special exempt from split and also Dane Sweeney and a couple of other qualifiers. Uh, generally looks like a pretty tough section for Manarino if he if he has to play Kopejans and then Piroz, right? I think in general, Kopejans will have a good chance of beating him in the second round. Then there's also Ofner, uh, who is the third seed. And the other seed in that section is Andrea Vavasori. Uh, when it comes to like the dangerous contenders, Chunsin Seng definitely as a, as a second round, um, well, as a candidate to play Andrea Vavasori in the second round could be a threat here. Ofner could play, uh, plays a qualifier and then McCabe or Dominguez. Vavasori might also not have it easy with Ferreira Silva. If Ferreira Silva can uh, just pull up, so, you know, just pull out some magic in Portugal at home. Uh, in the uh, bottom half, we've got six seed Kaiji Uchida. Uh, some of these matches have already started when I'm recording, and I think Uchida is up on Yoris Delor pretty comfortably. Delor has recently become the, uh, a father, and he had a bit of a break, and I think he also had a, had a medical timeout already in this match with Uchida. So uh, maybe maybe that's also one of the reasons why he's why he's down. Uh, then there's also uh, Juan Manuel Serundolo here, who is of course coming over from the states, from Houston. Uh, sorry, Houston, and uh, then uh, Sarasota uh, when he lost in the opening round to Bien Fratangelo. So I don't know. He had he had plenty of time to to get here. He is playing Duarte Valle in the opening round, which is a match I want to see. But do we think that Valle is going to have a big chance against him? Not so sure, right? And Joao Souza plays uh, Steven Diaz. Uh, the, the, Souza is the fifth seed here. And Alexander Miller is the second one the, 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 in, the bot, in the very bottom uh, spot in the draw, playing Philip Christian Gianu. A very interesting second round opponent for Miller could be Pedro Souza or Enrique Rocha. Uh, the 18-year-old Rocha recently broke through the... 
uh, of the qualifying at Estoril, the ATP 250, which was quite shocking because in 12 qualifying attempts at, at challengers, he never made it. And uh, before he wasn't uh, ever getting uh, major wildcards to Portuguese challengers. Now he got it because, well, uh, of course, he kind of deserves it, right? After that uh, feat. And Pedro Sosa is finishing his career. So let's see if he can beat Rocha. I think he can. And I think he can even be a big danger to Gianluar Miller. Uh, I don't know how he will hold up physically, you know, but uh, with the way he played in uh, Estoril, the ATP 250, I would say that Pedro Sosa might actually do some damage here. You know, he was really inspired there. And when it comes to the winner picks, oh, sorry. And of course, the qualifying also, I will also mention. Uh, we have, um, well, in the qualifying, we also had uh, Pablo Yamas Ruiz as the top seed. The qualifying has almost finished, I believe. Let me check that. Yeah, four players have already made it in, but frankly, none of them are probably going to be that dangerous here. Daniel Merida Aguilar is, is one of them. And um, there's also uh, Billy Harris coming out very soon if he can uh, just lock up that final game against Andrei Cepielev. I wonder if Yamas Ruiz is going to qualify because he could certainly be a threat here, but he still has to play Kenny Deshepper uh, at the time of recording. So, and well, he isn't there yet, but he, of course, is the favorite against Deshepper. So I believe that from the qualifying, probably there's not going to be that many threats other than him, maybe. And when it comes to our winner picks, Jakub just sent me over his Offner prediction, which he also did in Madrid last week. And, you know, Offner has already made three Challenger finals in 2023. He was also doing fine in Madrid, so I, I definitely respect that call. And um, I am actually going to go for... What I'm tempted is with... Uh, with uh, I, I'm tempted to go Copayans. Because I presume that Pirosh will be kind of... I presume that Pirosh will be tired, doesn't even have to beat Sweeney, who seems to be decent on clay as well. And Manarino, I don't really trust him to win this event. But I think I'm actually going to go with just Juan Manuel Serundolo. So Jakub had him, I think, in uh, in Sarasota last week. But on red clay, he is much... Uh, yeah, just a much better player than on the green stuff, so... Um, I think Pedro Sosa might beat Alexander Miller in the second round if they play each other. So I'm not going for Miller for in that for that reason. I I don't think Serundolo is in amazing form, but maybe if he just gets an easier match on the board here, uh, I think he actually might struggle with Duarte Valle, but eventually win maybe. And then if he just gets a couple of wins in, um, he should be a threat to win this title to me. Uh, would be a big step as well for him because it's a it's a one to five of course. And then maybe let's go over to the other uh, European event, which is Rosetto degli Abruzzi uh, in Italy, of course. Filip Misolic is the top seed, so already we see that the quality of the draws is uh, of the draw is much weaker than in Oirash. But that's mostly the reason of the fact that we have three ATP um, three ATP tour events this week, right? So a lot of players who would generally be on the Challenger Tour are in Banja Luka, Barcelona, Munich. And Filip Misolic plays Juan Bautista Torres, so not an easy start. In that section, there's also the fifth seed, Andrea Pellegrino, playing Mate Valkus, another killer first-round matchup. Uh, dangerous contenders in this section, also Gianluca Mager, Salvatore Caruso, maybe. Um, there's a third seed, Cells in there, with whom I don't really trust at, the, at this moment, on clay especially. Uh, he plays Gianmarco Ferrari and maybe could be in trouble even there. But in the second round, he would play Jesper de Jong, who's in much better form of the two Dutchmen. And there's also a very exciting section for me with Dalibor Scina playing Kacper Zuk and then Santiago Rodriguez Taverna or a qualifier. And uh, in the uh, the eighth seed is Gofier Oncleon, who's going to play Nino Serda Rusic and then one of two wildcard Italians, Forti Orfonio. There's also Emilio Nava as the fourth seed. Probably not really a contender uh, on clay. He's going to play Tito Androguet in the first round. Then Marchenko or Coligno. So both Coligno and Onclem could, could get on a run here. It's not impossible. There's also Nicolas David Yonel, uh, the seventh seed, who will face a qualifier in the first round. And if he wins, he'll also face a qualifier. We already know that. And uh, the second seed is Franco Agamenone who's going to play a qualifier, and then Navone or Kilian Feldbausch. Kilian Feldbausch, the very, very exciting um, Swiss junior who made uh, a big impact in um, Swiss indoor challengers last year, uh, beating, uh, who was it, Marc-Andrea Hissler, I think it was that he beat. 
he is 17. He was an, an excellent junior, but this year I think he was injured probably because he only played a couple of ITF events in uh, January. Uh, I'm not sure how he plays on clay, frankly. I don't know if I've ever seen him on clay, even at the junior level. So, um, yeah, he played two challengers on clay last year, Lost, uh, took a set of Richard, didn't take a set of Lazarov. So, um, not sure what to think about this with Navone in the opening round. He can win this, but uh, it's still a pretty tough draw. Uh, but I'm excited to see how um, how Feldbausch will do for sure. When it comes to the qualifying in uh, Rosetto, I think it was rained off today. Yes, it was completely rained off, so we only have one round played at this point. You know, when I'm recording, uh, Max Hokes will play Jacopo Berrettini in a pretty interesting final qualifying round. There's also uh, my another one of my countrymen, uh, countrymen, so Filippo Pelivo playing Gianmarco Moroni. Uh, Moroni, I was just thinking about him today, like how much he has fallen, right? Uh, but but a very fun game. Um, I, I wish both could make it into the main draw. Uh, I think Moroni is the favorite though, probably. Sumit Nagal as well, someone who could do damage in the in the main draw. And Jakub is picking Mate Valkus here, which is very, very aggressive. I mean, the guy is playing Andrea Pellegrino in the first round, right? And that's precisely why I don't want to pick Pellegrino, even though I could. Like, I, I was thinking of Pellegrino here because it feels like he is kind of due, uh, a week like, you know, Pellegrino tends to have. So when Pellegrino just completely crashes the field and somehow, uh, does it just only four times a year and otherwise is mostly losing in round ones. But because he's playing Valkos in the opening round, I'm not going to do that. Uh, honestly, on Clay and Collignon, this is a very uh, nice section where I think both could maybe even make the quarters. Uh, Serda Rusic maybe could stop on Clay. Um, I don't really trust Agamemnon or Rionel, so I think I'm gonna have to go for a hero call here and just say Kasper Zhuk. You know, he, he just cannot be losing matches like, um, he, he cannot be losing matches where he has the, the win basically secured and then he uh, lets it go. I mean, at some point playing well but losing has to stop. I think. <laughs> At least that's what I hope for. Is Vrcina an easy opening round? If he's hitting well, yes. So what, what I'm mostly scared of here is probably Esper de Jong in the quarters. In, in, his, uh, in his quarter. But um, yeah, it's a hero call, but I, I'm doing that. And I guess Jakub is also going for a pretty tough peak with Valkus because he's playing Pellegrino. Because the draw just seems very even. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of players who could win this. And next, uh, we have three uh, events in the States. Since we've already had that Sarasota Green Clay event, let's go to uh, Tallahassee, where uh, Zhijian Zhang is the top seed. He's, uh, he was uh, one of the favorites in Sarasota as well, but lost in the second round. Of course, not really in good form this year, uh, Zhijian Zhang. So uh, it's going to be exciting to see how he does. There's also Bruno Kuzuhara in, in his second round, possibly, or a qualifier. Zizu Bergs plays Andrea Arnaboldi. Bergs is also picking up some steam, finally, but he lost to Altmaier, the eventual champion in Sarasota. Facundo Diaz Acosta and Bien Fratangelo face off in the opening round. That's a huge round one. Fratangelo always was great on green clay and red clay also, like compared to most Americans. And uh, the eighth seed is Rio Noguchi, so quite vulnerable there. Uh, he can He's going to play Calvin Emery and then Christian Harrison or Seon Chan Hong. So frankly, if the, the winner of Diaz Acosta or Fratangelo could go very deep here, in my opinion. And there's also Tunglin Wu as the fifth seed, playing Alex Rybakov. The third seed is Dominic Kepfer, who's going to play uh, Tyson Kwiatkowski, whom I think in the in a main draw in a challenger we probably have not seen in a while, right? Uh, Kwiatkowski was just in an ITF event. Oh, actually, Kwiatkowski won a round in a BL. I didn't even realize that, but otherwise he was just playing qualifying earlier this year. Uh, and, uh, he just won a 15k on, uh, green clay in the States. Uh, he didn't really beat any impressive players, I would say. The best win was probably Federico Agustin Gomez. So, um, and McCormick, I suppose, is that a, be is that a better win? I guess it's, it's hard to maybe compare this, but, uh, he just won an event. So he is getting some rhythm back finally, uh, the former top 200 player. Uh, so maybe Kwiatkowski can do some damage to Kepfer. I don't know. Uh, we shall see. Uh, there's also seventh seed Enzo Quaco, the semi-finalist from Sarasota, gonna play Chapel or Popko. And uh, Camilo Ugo Carabelli plays Alex Michelson in a fantastic first round matchup. I have absolutely no clue who's going to win this one. 
Uh, one of them will play Matteo Martino or Luca Pui. And uh, Michael Sen, uh, you know, no, we'll, we'll see how he fares on green clay. But in general, it should probably be better for him than Ugo Carabelli, right? So a big chance, I think, for the um, for the upset. I don't know if even if it's even an upset. Frankly, I can quickly check if there's a you know well what, what the odds are Michael Sen against Ugo Carabelli are. Well, Ugo Carabelli is actually a pretty hefty favorite against Michael Sen. Which surprises me. I don't know. Is that because it's clay? But it's green clay. Does that change much? For me, it does. But maybe, maybe I'll end up being the the one who's wrong here. Um, anyway, uh, when it comes to the qualifying as well, we already had one round, and uh, I think not every single match was played again because of the rain. Martin Dam uh, just played a very good match against Altmaier, so maybe if he can qualify, he can do some damage. Uh, Kirian Jacquet is there. Uh, Donald Young, can he beat Patrick Kipson? I don't know. But in general, not the strongest qualifying draw, uh, for sure. And Jakub sent me his pick, which is Bjorn Fratangelo. Quite aggressive, given the fact that he plays uh, Diaz Acosta, I think, in the opening round. Uh, but if memory serves right, Diaz Acosta was not all right physically last week, right? He... Uh, oh, no, he was... Uh, sorry, I, I, miss, I messed this up with... Um, his match a month ago, he uh, lost to Diallo in um, in a third set tiebreaker in the opening round in Sarasota. So I don't really know why Jakub is so confident in Fratangelo here, Fratangelo Diaz Acosta. But as I said, if Fratangelo beats him, I think he's the fa- big favorite to make the semis. So I really get it. Um, who am I picking? I think I'm picking Zizhen Zhang again, you know? I, I'm, I'm helpless. I just have to keep picking Zizhen Zhang. I, I don't know wh- wh- why, why I do that. I just constantly think that Zhizhen Zhang is going to do well in this event. Like, finally, he has to do something somewhere, and then he doesn't. But I think green clay is a good opportunity for him. Um, I am afraid of Zizou Berks, though. I have to say, I am afraid of Zizou Berks. Uh, but otherwise, who can I pick? You know, Kepfer, I really think Kwiatkowski has some sort of a chance, although I don't think uh, his ITF win was streamed, so I couldn't really see it. Otherwise, I could pick Alex Michelson, but he's such an underdog in the opening round. Do I do I trust uh, the, the bookies? Do I trust the odds there? And uh, just, just avoid picking Michelson because of that reason? I don't know, really. Um, he could win this event, I think. He, he could really do that. But I am going... No, I, I am going to go gonna go with Zhizhen Zhang. It's stupid, but otherwise I'm not really sure, sure what to go for. And I think even if Fratangelo makes the semis, I'm just not sure if he's going to have it in him physically to win this event. Uh, he kind of lost it at the end of the Olivieri second round last week, so... Uh, that's why I do, I'm, I won't really follow uh, Jakub on the Fratangelo one, uh, even though I also like the idea. And yeah, he's just an excellent clay player, green or red. Uh, two more events, uh, one in North America in Morelos. So maybe let's head there because this is the last one of the Mexican altitude uh, swing. This one is on hard courts. James Duckworth plays Bernard Tomic in a very exciting first round clash. Uh, Tomic has wasted his altitude clay swing so far. So um, I wonder if this one, if, if in this event he can uh, he can do something. I mean, I, I expected him not to do much on clay, I guess, especially when I saw how he fared against Tirante. But Leon losing to Statham in the in the opening round of the qualifying that was disappointing. So um, I don't know. He uh, Dakor for Tomic can play Mejia in the second round, so that would be pretty huge on altitude. Dominic Palan uh, is gonna play Renzo Olivo with Palan's serve in these conditions, not necessarily a given for Olivo. Maximilian Neukrist could be very dangerous here, the fourth seed, playing a qualifier other than a qualifier of Reis da Silva. Antoine Escoffier is the fifth seed, playing Baby Zhukayev in the uh, first round. And Aziz Dugas is also there in the second, in the potential second round for them. Or Buyun Chaokete. Buyun Chaokete recently had that big run, of course, in, uh, in Spain on hard courts. There's also uh, the second seed, uh, in the bottom half, we've got Juan Pablo Fikovic, the eighth seed. Uh, Fikovic, excellent altitude uh, hard player, as we as we said. And he can face Walton or Pacheco Mendes. Uh, Tirante is there, also uh, dangerous on altitude, playing uh, Dugas's friend Skander Mansuri in the opening round. Ejupovic or Zhu in the second, also not a given. Very tough draw to, to predict anything here. Uh, seventh seed, Alexis Galarno. 
uh, plays a qualifier and then a qualifier EFCAF. And some very good uh, players as well in the very bottom section with, um, well, Antoine Bellier and Jay Clark, the defending champion. And Jay Clark, the defending champion, could be in real, real trouble if he is unable to defend any of his points. Because frankly, since his results have been just a disaster. And well, right now he is at 339 in the ATP, uh, well, in the live ATP rankings. But I think Morelos was simply played at another date last year, right? Because I think Morelos was played maybe like one one week later or something. Uh, am I am I right with that? I think I am, right? And then that would make uh, Clark simply have these points for longer. Yeah, Morelos was played... Um, the final was on the 1st of May. So uh, he is defending his title, even though these points will actually only drop from his ranking in a couple of weeks. But if these points are out... He could be outside the top 500 even uh, very, very soon. And that's the reality about how Jay Clark has played since. And um, just looking at his first turn against Bellier, very tough draw, especially with the form that he's had. And they can play Terence Atmane or uh, Adolfo Daniel Vallejo, the, the very talented Paraguayan junior, uh, who uh, in both in Lyon and San Luis Potosi lost in the opening round hasn't really been able to do much on the Challenger Tour this year so far. Last year had that nice qualifying campaign in Mallorca, but, but that's it for now. Um, yes, and also when it comes to the qualifying in Morelos, uh, we had Facundo Mena, the altitude uh, goat, still not winning a match, losing to Luke Savi. Uh, so um, that's that's a problem uh, for Mena, still still winless in 2023. Mark Layal plays Rubin Statham. Didn't they play last week, I think, maybe even? Uh, am I wrong? Like, who did? Oh, no, Layal lost to Walton, sorry, not Statham. Uh, but um, they can both be pretty dangerous. Marius Kopil is there and barely beat the uh, double specialist Federico Zeballos. But if he can beat Glinka, maybe he can tune in his game a little bit. Aidan McHugh, I'm excited to see how he's going to do. Uh, but... You know, with this with this sort of a draw, probably none of the qualifiers can win it. But also, as we know, the altitude results can be very, very weird. So, uh, who am I picking here? Um, let's see who uh, who Jakub wants to pick. And Jakub wants to pick Duckworth again, just as he did in uh, and I did as well in in uh, Lyon. I'm not gonna follow up on my Duckworth pick again because he is playing um, well. He is playing Tomic in the opening round, then Mejia or Crawford. I don't really feel comfortable with this. I'm gonna pick Maximilian Neukrist. I'm gonna trust him to have a big altitude clay run. Uh, sorry, altitude hard, dry, uh, hard run again. I think he can top this um, altitude swing in Mexico with some huge run uh, again. Um, I don't know if he's gonna have enough in the tank because it's been pretty like it's been three pretty rough weeks for him in in that sense. Uh, but I like his draw a lot, so so that's why I'm just gonna f I'm gonna pick him. Um, otherwise, there's just a lot of more competitive sections where uh, I'm not sure if the players are going to get to the quarters. And here, Neukrist feels like he should get to the quarters at least as well. And one more event, Florianopolis. Uh, a challenger, of course, in the um, in the uh, in Brazil. Uh, <laughs> the defending champion is Igor Marcondes, who, of course, is not playing anymore, at least until um, at least until 2023, because he was banned. But uh, it's not an altitude event; it's a simple South America clay event in Brazil. Thomas Barrios Vera is the opening, uh, is the easy top seed. Uh, great form this year, playing Gustavo Haide, the Brazilian uh, youngster who had some uh, had some uh, showed some promise sometimes, but uh, you know recent uh, recent instances they haven't been great. Uh, Giovanni Pecci Pericard plays Genaro Alberto Olivieri in the other match with the seed in that section. Olivieri is that seed, of course. And otherwise, it's mostly qualifiers and Gonzalo Villanueva. Andrea Colarini, fourth seed, can play, uh, well, will play Roman Andres Buruchaga in the opening round. There's also Daniel Dutra da Silva playing Thiago Sabofield, one of the contenders probably for this title in this section. And Sabofield, if he, if he beats Dutra da Silva, he can play the phenomenal youngster Joao Fonseca, who actually should have a decent shot at Gonzalo Lama, it seems. Uh, there's also Ribeiro and Aboyan in that section. Alessandro Gianessi is the seventh seed, playing Otegi, 
Boscard in Diaz maybe could be dangerous, maybe even Maxime Janvier. Also an interesting choice from him to, to go to South America, but I guess in recent years Janvier has been a bit of a globe traveler in terms of his schedule. And um, Luci- Lu- Luciano Darderi is the third seed playing Benjamin Hassan. Not an easy first round, I would say. And also the eighth seed is Francisco Comesania, uh, potentially playing some qualifiers or Jose Pereira. And there's a fantastic match at the bottom half of the draw, which is Alejandro Tabillo, uh, Tabilo sorry, against uh, Gonzalo Bueno. Bueno, I think, just won an ITF event as well. So uh, definitely in some good shape. And I'm not sure what to think about this match. Does he have a realistic shot at Tabilo? Um, according to the book, he's not. He actually won back-to-back ITF events. Uh, when it comes to the wins, you know, Andrade, Metreveri twice, they weren't they weren't stacked, but still, it gives him some nice rhythm. We'll see if the Peruvian youngster uh, can do any damage to Tabilo, who, to his credit, has improved his form in, in recent months, at least. And then when it comes to the qualifying, uh, I wouldn't really say there's that much to look forward to. The Huertas Del Pino brothers maybe could qualify. They're, they bo- they're both in the second round. Orlando Luz has fallen off a cliff, but maybe he can regain uh, some of that form that even brought him to a challenger final. And I think he was also a um, uh, junior number one, if memory serves right. Uh, but not that much to be excited for in the qualifying, I think. And I saw that ya- uh, Jakub picked uh, Sabe of Wild here. I can totally get that pick. Um, this is I'm, I'm mostly thinking about two players here. Uh, one of them being Barrios Vera and the other one being Sabe of Wield. Uh, both in amazing form, frankly. Uh, Barrios Vera, as I think, uh, yeah, with with the sort of uh, la- with the lack of points that he has in the second half of the year, could go very very far in the ATP rankings this year. He's been in uh, he's been in great shape. And we all know what recently uh, Thiago Sabov will did, right? So uh, it's tough to pick between them. I think potentially uh, Sabov will has the better peak level for sure. Who has the easier draw? Kind of hard to compare. Pechi Pericard, Olivieri, that's a tough quarter for Barrios Vera. But Sabov will, you know, playing Coyarini or maybe even Fonseca in the second round. I don't know. I think it's comparable. Uh, it's likely that we might get the, these two players matching up in the semis. And just to go different than Jakub, I'm going to go with um, Thomas Barrios Vera. But, um, you know, the, the, my level of confidence in this pick isn't that high. Like, I, I believe that these two are pretty much interchangeable here. So um, let's just um, let's just pick Barrios Vera because I think this is a 50-50 for me between these two. And uh, let's make it just more spicy by not going for what Jakub did. Um, some people would probably be pick Tabilo. He has a good section. I just want to see that Bueno Tabilo match first. I I want to see how close Gonzalo is gonna be to Tabilo uh, in um, in Florianopolis before thinking that um, Tabilo could potentially go very very deep. And that's gonna be it for this week. Uh, we kept go. We, uh, no, despite uh, lacking Jakub here in this episode, I think we did pretty well. We managed to manage to keep that uh, winner predictions thing going. As I said, we're now even at it. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening until the very end. It's going to be a very busy week of Challenger action. Also free ATP Tour events, right? So there's just tennis, 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 tennis everywhere uh, 24-7. But that's um, that's kind of what we love about the sport as well. And uh, yeah, see you in seven days when we're, we'll be back uh, to discuss the events of... Now, you know, let's try to uh, just name these five. So Roseto Deli Abruzzi and Oeiras, um, Tallahassee, Morelos and Florianopolis. I went continent by continent and in that way I was, I managed to do it. I think if I just uh, started naming them without any sort of order, then I would probably screw it up. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's going to be it for uh, the, today, 17th of April 2023. Hopefully you're still going to hear it on, well, hopefully it's still going to be released on the 17th of April as well, but if not, just enjoy it whatever day of the week and uh, see you in seven days. Thank you.